As has been stated, we're very glad for your presence here this evening. It's my prayer as well with Brother Kent that you'll be edified by the study of the evening. I pray that you will see God's Word for truth and that you will use it to better your life in the week to come. No, the Apostle Matthew included five women in the genealogy of Christ. You know, this was remarkable because it was not customary that the Jewish people in their history would include women. But these five women, I believe, they're remarkable. And because of their lives that they led, they were Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Tamar was married to Ur, the son of Judah. And Ur, the Bible says, was so wicked that God killed him. And then she was married to Onan, another son of Judah, and the Lord killed him as well. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho before she hid the Hebrew spies. Ruth was a widow when she followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. Bathsheba committed adultery with King David, and her husband was killed to hide their sin. Mary, as a virgin, became the mother of Jesus. So not only did she have to endure the suspicions of having premarital sex, but she witnessed her firstborn son murdered on a cross for crimes that he did not commit. I believe these women endured many hardships while they were on this earth. Some of these hardships were consequences of their sin or the sins of those around them, but also time and chance happened to them, as it happens to all of us. I believe we can learn a lot from these women how they face trial in life and how we should face trial as well. Tonight I would like to look at one of them, that being Ruth. A book in the Bible is given to us that bears her name and tells about her story, both her and her mother-in-law Naomi, and I believe there's much we can learn from their relationship with each other, but also from the story. So if you would, turn to Ruth chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. The Bible says that it was a famine that caused Elimelech and Naomi to leave Bethlehem. Prior to the famine, I imagined that there was a time of plenty, where there was plenty of food, plenty for everyone in the land of Judah. Because as the Bible says, it truly was a land that naturally flowed with milk and honey. Living in West Texas, we know how the weather can change, how we can go from feast to famine, almost at a a moment's notice, or without any notice. And it can happen multiple times in a year. Just because life is one way at the present, doesn't mean it's going to continue that way for any length of time at all. And sadly, as we see soon, this was all too true for Naomi and her daughters-in-law. Verses 4 and 5, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. 
Then Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This kind of reads matter-of-fact-like, but think about, put yourself in Naomi's shoes for a moment. She's gone to a land that is not her own because of famine, because of hardship. She loses her husband. Ten years later, she loses both of her sons. This brings me to my first point. Life is fleeting. It is ever-changing. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we cannot take tomorrow for granted. No matter how old you are, your life will change, and you can't predict at what time that is going to happen. Ask many people in this audience who have lost their spouse, who have lost someone suddenly without a moment's notice. Life changes. The Bible doesn't say, or, but to me it gives the impression that this happened suddenly. Not only for uh, Naomi's husband, but also for the two sons. Whatever the case was, however they died, their life was cut short. You know, it didn't matter what they planned to do in the future. It didn't matter if they planned to go back to Bethlehem at some point, if they planned to do this or that. The fact of the matter was that they all died unexpectedly. You know, it's human nature to get caught up in the here and now and the plans that we make. And we act as if life will continue without end at times. And so we put off things that we need to get done now, like getting our life right with God, because we think we'll do that when we have an easier time, when, we're not as hect- when it's not as hectic, when we don't have kids to get to, to and from school, when we don't have all these other irons in the fire, so to speak. But we're not promised tomorrow. Remember what Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39 says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to happen. Whether it's our life cut short, or whether it's the coming of Christ Jesus once again. Not one of us knows what tomorrow holds for us. Since tomorrow has always come, we assume that it will continue to. But today, one day it will be your last. We all know this to be true. Intellectually, we understand it. But we, do we act that way in our everyday lives? Do we put the priority on the things that need the priority? No, I don't say this to, to say that we need to live in a fog of depression day in and day out, worrying about the future, but the very opposite. We need to live our lives so that we can look forward to the second coming of Christ or the time when our life is ended and our life account is brought before God And we are judged because we need to have the blood of Christ on our account. We need to have first and foremost in our lives the things that are important. We need to value each and every moment of our lives. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, a verse that we use often, teach us to number our days so that we apply our hearts to wisdom. We need to fill our lives with things that really matter. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17 See then that you walk circumspectly, 
not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that you would be in heaven with Him when this life is over. That each and every person on this face of this earth would be. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Each one of us here today has been blessed with another day of life. We have the opportunity to be a faithful child of God. We must make the most of that opportunity. If you have not obeyed the gospel, tonight is the very best time to do that. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Voice that belief before this audience. Confess Him before men. Repent of sin and put on Christ in baptism. Having contact with the blood of Christ and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. That's the very best choice you can make if you're not a Christian. If you are already a Christian, be faithful. Remember the one that has given you everything that gave His life on the cross for your sins, and continue to spread the light of Christ to this world. 2 Peter chapter 3, going on in verses 10 and 11, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with the great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. Redeem the time. Realize the shortness, the brevity of life, and make the most of it. Don't lose sight of the grave reality that life is fragile, and make your calling and election sure, as the Bible says. Then and only then will you be able to face whatever life may bring to you with confidence. So now back to the story of Ruth, verse 6 of chapter 1. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. You know, if I put myself in Naomi's shoes and I've lost everything and I'm in a foreign country, I would be at my wit's end. And I believe that's probably where she was. And I believe the Bible bears that out by her responses to when she comes back to Bethlehem, when she tells them to call her Mara, and when she, her interactions with Orpah and Naomi. But I believe she was a determined woman. Even though life had given her some very rotten circumstances. So she determines to go back home. In verse 7 of Ruth chapter 1, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. So they go on their way, then she tells them, hey, go back to your people. And they weep and they say, no, we're going on with you. I get the impression that these daughters-in-laws were keepers. They were good. 
They were probably very good to her sons, and they were very good to their mother-in-law. They had a strong bond, a strong relationship. And they were willing to go with their mother-in-law on this long journey back to a land that they did not know. I believe this showed the love and devotion that both Ruth and Orpah had for Naomi. Let's continue in verse 11. And Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do, to you, do so to me, and, all, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So we see this devotion that Ruth has. In verse 18 says, When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. So I think you see Naomi, she's very, if you want to say stubborn, she says, go back. And when Ruth doesn't, she gives her the silent treatment. And they go on their journey back to Bethlehem. Now we see that both Orpah and Ruth started on the journey with Naomi back to Bethlehem. But somewhere along the way, Naomi's pleading for them to go back home, to return to the to the land of their fathers, Orpah listens, and she does what Naomi requests. Now, if they stayed with her, she knew that it was likely that they would never get married because she was not going to have any more children. And she did. Her advice was what she thought was best for her daughters-in-law. And as I said, Orpah took Naomi's command took heed to it, and with much weeping returned to her home. But Ruth did not and would not turn back and proclaimed that great proclamation that we just read. And that proclamation is on rings many times that a husband and wife will give to one another, showing the devotion that they have to one another. You know, before studying this lesson, I didn't really pick up on this, but look back at verse 15, what Naomi said to Ruth after Orpah had turned back. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You know, however good her intentions were, the result was not good. Orpah had tasted the goodness of God. She had, I believe, because it was a, a, a sin for the children of Israel to take a wife that was not of the children of Israel, I think it, odds are that they were proselyte Jews that Orpah and Ruth had become Jews. 
Ezra chapter 10, verse 10 says, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord, your, Lord God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. So I believe there's a good likelihood that Orpah and Ruth had become proselyte Jews. This leads me to my second point. Don't, no matter how earnest or how um, godly the person may be or whatever the circumstance may be, don't allow anything to cause you to go astray from serving God. You know, even though it was at Naomi's request that Orpah returned to the gods, we assume that she did as Naomi requested, to the gods of her people, that was not the best thing she could do. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You know, God has made each one of us in His image with an eternal soul and given us the ability to choose to serve Him or to serve sin or ourselves. And we will be judged by the choices that we make. But much like my first point, it is easy for us to forget this because we get lost in the moment. And our emotions take over. And the emotions of the given situation cloud our judgment. And when we commit sin, we may, suffer, we may not suffer any bad consequences at the very moment. So we get lulled into the thought that maybe it's not so bad. You know, this was maybe even enjoyable, so maybe sin's not that bad. People often tell themselves, it just feels too good to be sinful. How can God, how can it be rod? God wants me to be happy, right? What does Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 says? O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And also in Proverbs chapter 14, 12, and also 16, 25, they both say there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even when we're in the midst of an emotional situation and we make a decision that feels right, don't base it on your emotions. Base it, on, base it on the truth of God's Word. Because in the end, it's not our emotions that are going to judge us, but it's the Word of God. It's the truth of God that we find in Scripture. You know, I'm sure it would have been much easier at that moment for Ruth to turn back to what she knew, to the life that she was brought up in, to her homeland and the people and the gods of her people, where she was accepted. But she didn't let the bad advice of her God-fearing mother-in-law persuade her to turn away from God. And we must have that same determination to serve God regardless of our situation. We must realize that it is our eternal soul that hangs in the balance. This choice is not something that we make once. We make one choice to serve God and then the rest, we're riding on easy street. But it's a choice that we have to make daily to take up our cross and follow Christ daily. You know, the devil, we're told, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that roaring lion may go away for a time, 
But He's going to come back and He's going to look for a, a time and a place where we are vulnerable. He will use whatever and whoever He can to persuade us to turn our back on God. You must make a conscious determination every moment to, of your life to stand for the truth. God has promised that we will never, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He has conquered death through the blood of Christ and it is up to us to remain faithful to the winning side. So let's continue on in the, in the story of Ruth in verse 22 of Ruth chapter 1. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So I, it was probably sometime in the middle of summer, I suppose. Ruth said, Ruth, Ruth did just as she said she would. She didn't go a long a ways and then decide, you know, this is a long trip and go back. But she was steadfast just as she said she would be. And she went all the way back to Bethlehem with Naomi. Verses 1 through 3 of Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. We see here that Boaz was a very wealthy man. And it just so happened that he was closely related to Elimelech, who was Ruth's father-in-law. And as the Bible says, Ruth happened to come to the field that Boaz owned. And she began to gather what the harvest crew had left behind. And we see the goodness of this man, Boaz. Continuing on in verse 4 of Ruth chapter 2. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from that from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you, should not take, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has, fully, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Boaz goes out to check the fields during the harvest. 
and he sees Ruth and he questions, who is this woman? And he's told who she is. And then he has an interaction with her. And notice what sticks out for him. It's not her beauty, but it's her servant's heart. Her willingness to serve her mother-in-law. And her reputation preceded her because of her love and devotion for Naomi. This brings me to my third and final part or point. And that being godliness always pays off. You know, if you continue to read the story of Ruth, you'll see that just a few days later, Ruth becomes the wife of Boaz, and eventually the great-great-grandmother of David the king, and an ancestor, as we've already mentioned, of Jesus Christ our Lord. In her life, Ruth had endured many bad things. She had lost her husband and had to travel away from her family. But she didn't allow that to make her bitter or to make her cynical toward God. But she pursued a relationship not only with Naomi, but also Naomi's God, the God of heaven and earth. Her godly character was made evident in her time of trial. I remind you of Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave you, Ruth said, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. We see that Ruth was not looking for fame and fortune. She was looking to remain committed to her mother-in-law and to her God. She had the heart of a servant. She put Naomi ahead of herself, and she exemplified what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-9. through 9. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. You know, Ruth was blessed because of her righteousness while she lived on this earth. You know, that's not always the case. We may not receive blessing when we remain faithful to God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But when we have an eternal perspective... Being faithful to God gives us the greatest reward we could even ever imagine. And when we put it all into perspective, what we endure in this life compared to what we gain through service to God is not even worth, worthy of being compared. You know, the Apostle Paul knew what it meant to be in hardship, to go through trials, to go through hard times in this life. And he warned Timothy... Very straightforward. If you desire to be a Christian, you will suffer persecution. He could say, look at me. Look at what I've had to go through. If you desire to be a Christian, you will suffer. But Paul realized that that was a small, not even to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us in eternity. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 19 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing 
of the sons of God. You know, that's hard. That's maybe one of the hardest things for us to do because we live in the physical, in the here and now, and we see people get rewarded when it seems like they are wicked or we see people that are righteous and they don't receive in our, from our viewpoint the reward that they are due. And the world tells us that no good deed goes unpunished, that you better fall in line with the world and its agenda or you're going to or nothing's going to go well with you. And try, Satan tries to convince us that in order to get ahead in this life, we've got to look out for number one, because nobody else is going to. But we find that this is completely contrary to God's Word. Matthew chapter 6 and verse... Sorry, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58 first. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When we're serving God and we're putting Him first, we're storing up treasure in heaven, not treasure on this earth. And that treasure does not go away. It's not stolen. It's not rusted away. Moths do not come in and, and take it away. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, it's not hard to find situations in others' lives or maybe our life that we, we can see it's life's just not fair. Times when I said that evil is rewarded and righteousness is punished. And it's easy to get cynical and lose our faith. And we allow our emotions or the emotions of that immediate situation to cloud our judgment. And we give up eternity for what seems like a a relief from that um, persecution at this moment. But if we look and we put it in the balance, it doesn't even compare. We're giving up way more. Remember what Christ did, what He was willing to do, as Brother Luke read this morning at the Lord's table. And in Philippians chapter 2, I'd like to read beginning of verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He had the perfect eternal perspective, and that's the same we must have. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At any point along Christ's journey through life, He could have said enough's enough. I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. But because of the eternity that He wanted to offer each one of us, He endured the shame of the cross, the pain, the rejection, the beatings, the scourgings, all so that we could have a chance of everlasting life with Him. In conclusion tonight, I hope that you will gain good admonition from the book of Ruth. I hope that you will go and on your own time, you'll read through this book. And that you'll learn there's many more things that you can learn from the life of this godly woman. But I hope that you will take to heart 
And consider as you go about your week that life is fleeting. Redeem the time. Make the most of it. Because you're not promised tomorrow. Don't be led astray. No matter what anybody says, stay true to God's Word. Because He will stay true to you. And you'll have eternal life to look forward to if you do that. And remember that godliness pays off. It may not pay off pound for pound in this life, but it will pay off in eternity. And it's worth it all if we remain faithful to God. The lesson is yours tonight. If there's one that would like to begin your journey with God and become a child of God, putting on Christ in baptism, or one that desires the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.